Hey, hey everyone. Today I'm going to talk about the distinction between the work of Michel Foucault and Jacques Derrida in pretty simple terms. And the reason that I'm doing this is to prepare for the first of a kind of two week uh, set of videos that go into much more depth about the disagreements between Derrida and Foucault. Specifically, I'm going to be looking at the way that Derrida interprets Michel Foucault's treatment of Descartes, and then following that, Foucault's response to Derrida. So stay tuned for the first of that uh, this coming Saturday. Now before jumping into it, if you want to follow me anywhere other than here, you can find me on Instagram at theory underscore and underscore philosophy, where you can see mostly pictures of my cats if you're into that. If you're listening to this on YouTube or watching this on YouTube, you'll be able to find it in podcast form where there shouldn't be any ads. If you're listening to this in podcast form, you can find the video on YouTube. If you want to help me out, like, share, subscribe. If you're new here and you want to know why you should subscribe, uh, I explain philosophical texts in a accessible and uh, I think pretty fair way and you'll be able to see new videos every single week and that would be cool because I'd like to have you back and, and then we can discuss and you can share your ideas and I'd like to I'd like to hear it. And on that note, I see everyone's comments, but there's too many for me to respond to all of them. So I you know I I I, I do read them um, but I unless it's like a, I can just give like a quick response, I often don't because it's way too much. Um, but yeah, so like, share, subscribe. If you want to help me out monetarily, you can do that via Patreon or PayPal. And on that note, I don't want to waste any more of your time. Let me explain, at least in my mind, the key differences between the work of Michel Foucault and Jacques Derrida. So we can think of the distinction between Derrida and Foucault as a distinction between an interest in textuality versus discursivity or discourse. Quite simply, we know from Derrida that there is nothing outside of the text. Like that's one of his, his really uh, you know, famous sayings, that everything is text. And that means that therefore, if we are engaging with anything, we are engaging with textuality. Now what he means by that, and I've done quite a few videos on this, I've done uh, an episode on Derrida's idea of deconstruction, which would probably be helpful here, and a few videos on uh, structure, sign, and play, um, and of grammatology, all of which will help you understand what he means by the text and what the text means for him in history. But to be quite, I guess, <laughs> uh, simple about it, what a text is for Derrida in the historical sense, that is, how a, how a text or how textuality, how texts emerge as a kind of creative field or the possibility for communication is not because of like, oh, uh, let me write something down because that'll make it easier to remember later on. Texts emerged through a kind of foreclosure. That is, they emerged into incarceration to some extent. And I'm just using that term, don't think of it in the Foucauldian sense, Think of it in a kind of um, almost almost a Freudian sense. It, it was born into repression. Now what the, what does that mean? Well, in the history of philosophy, going all the way back to Plato, Derrida traces uh, a certain 
uh, resentment of texts, of writing, because writing was seen as a way to uh, kind of circumvent meaningful uh, dialogue in which there were, there were stakes. Like if you were having a debate with someone uh, with, with your own words, you had to think about immediate responses, you had to be uh, responsible for your immediate responses, whereas with writing, you could remove yourself from debate, from discussion, you know, to give yourself time to think about something which didn't foster a kind of meaningful engagement. It was removed from the reality of uh, communication, of dialogue. And so because of that, texts were given a kind of negative status in the history of philosophy. Now, I'm not gonna go into how he does this, but Derrida, well, what he does is reverses that, uh, that kind of suggestion to say that, in fact, it seems like writing originates at least how writing is constructed within this uh, kind of historical philosophical imagination. That is, it removes us from immediate communication, it removes us from uh, presence. That seems to be, in fact, the original instance of all communication, where communication is itself, be it verbal or I guess what else through any other kind of communication, is in itself a kind of uh, distancing between two people, between two ideas. So when we communicate, it's not as though like two souls are put on top of one another perfectly and everything is perfectly understood. There's always going to be something lost in translation even two people speaking the exact same language, will never understand each other in exactly the same way as the person meant themselves to be understood. And that is just the condition of all language. So if, you know, in order for me to engage as a linguistic being, as a being with language, what I'm essentially saying is that I have made the world simple enough in order to communicate it. So if I wanted to talk about a tree, I don't carry around with me a bunch of pictures of like trees or different kinds of trees or anything. I just say, oh, the, a tree was on fire, for example, and I leave it up to the person hearing me to fill in the blank of what the tree was like. But when I use that term tree, I'm not specifying, am I talking about evergreen, pine tree, uh, willow tree, who, you know, who knows? So what is happening is like a, there's like a constant loss happening in uh, verbal communication that limits the potential for absolute understanding. Now Derrida says that this is exactly how writing is admonished or how it is kind of characterized and therefore and repressed because of that. So Derrida says that this way that writing is constructed seems to really resemble the way that all communication really is. So he says that in this binary between writing and speech where writing is repressed in fact, writing as it, in the way that it is repressed actually seems to proceed. It comes before speech and in that way is actually the condition upon which speech itself is able to emerge, not the other way around. It's not as though writing is derivative to speech, it is that speech is derivative to writing. So that's what deconstruction, to be quite uh, simple about it is to him. That is, if we're dealing with a binary, what he comes to show through deconstruction is that the term that is believed to be kind of uh, repressed is actually the kind of original condition for the binary itself. So in this repressive moment, what we see is the emergence of an appreciation of logocentrism. Now logocentrism is an appreciation of this idea of verbal communication, 
uh, a kind of a appreciation of presence, what he calls the metaphysics of presence. That is an appreciation of communication that is immediate, you know, between two people right in front of each other, not mediated through uh, written words or, or writing or whatever. And all repression starts from this point, and this is a kind of model for it, and it moves everything that can be repressed into the domain of textuality as being lesser than the possibility for immediate speech. So it's a kind of you know, very broad, uh, has a very long history, tracing all the way back to at least the Greeks. And all kind of binaries and forms of repression that we see today can be traced to this original foreclosure of opportunity for one side of a binary, but through the construction of this binary. Now, here comes along Foucault. And if anyone's familiar with Foucault, uh, you'll know that Foucault is interested in history. Foucault is very much interested in institutions. Foucault is very much interested in the emergence of various forms of power that foreclose, that close off opportunities for certain people, for certain knowledges, in order to proffer up a kind of the idea of a dominant discourse or the idea of a more valuable discourse. So in his discussion of the prison, what we see is a, a certain logic of incarceration of carcerality emerge not because of a broad long uh, historical condition of all of like all humanity since the time of of the Greeks or like in the Western uh, tradition what we are seeing instead was the emergence of a specific moment that is how at a specific moment in this history these logics emerged not necessarily as a kind of scientific break from what came before it there is uh, the extension of various logics previous that, that it kind of borrows from, but it very much speaks to a specific emergence. Now, in terms of, uh, let's say, madness that Foucault looks upon, or at least the construction of madness, this happened in, in relation to what he calls the kind of uh, classical age of reason, in which, or the classical age, in which reason emerged as a, as a category that was more desirable than um, at least more desirable than madness, apparently, and that stood apart from it. Whereas Foucault shows that, in fact, madness and, and reason aren't, like, all that different. The only way that madness actually gets kind of subordinated is through the establishment of various institutions that keep this logic going. That is, they repress, incarcerate, institutionalize some knowledges as opposed to others which is kind of the scene for the disagreement between Derrida and Foucault. So without going too much into that, because that'll come out in the next couple weeks, what I just want to emphasize is the way that Foucault looks at various histories. He looks at the way that specific terms uh, operate within a certain economy of power, within a certain economy of institutional uh, pouvoir, institutional um, power that can't necessarily be uh, dissociated from uh, humanity or abstracted from it, like in the way that Derrida talks about a more abstract move toward logocentrism that represses all following forms of textuality. So Foucault, to put it quite simply, is interested in a, like specific moments in which there were uh, massive changes in the way that people organize and, and form themselves, whereas for Derrida, he's really interested in this original moment that is with the emergence of logocentrism and how that conditions all possible 
repressions to follow it. And that is where we get uh, the difference between textuality for Derrida, that is describing a more abstract category of textuality that emerges following the emergence of logocentrism, versus discursivity, that it wants to look at histories, various histories, how they are constructed within a certain notion of historicity and how historicity comes to play within uh, a certain dynamic of power relations and, and knowledge production that allows some knowledges to be constructed as dominant and primary and more legitimate than others. And that more or less, that, that more or less covers it. Um, there's, you know, Derrida has so many books and, and Foucault doesn't have all that many, but um, yeah, they, they got into a big debate about this, this treatment of Descartes, which you'll come to hear about in this Saturday and then the following Saturday. Uh, it led to them not speaking for a long time and having various disagreements. But it's a super interesting discussion and I hope that I'll be able to do it justice. Uh, so yeah, stay tuned for that and I'll uh, catch you next time and check one of these sides for another video because who doesn't want more of this stuff? Take care.